And welcome back to round two of the Grapple Roundtable. This week, we're going to be looking at sort of New Japan fandom and why New Japan um, attracts so many sort of different audiences as well. Um, slightly different from normal podcasts you'd hear about New Japan, where it would be the likes of me rambling on about it. Instead, we've got three New Japan fans. First of all, we have Lisson. How are you today, Lisson? Hi, uh, I'm all good. Uh, all fine. A bit hot. Yes. The weather, but all good. Thank you. And we also have, you might have heard it on the Two Sarahs podcast, we have Sarah Flannery. Hello, Sarah. Hello, hello. How is everyone? All good, but very sticky, as we were having in the conversation <laughs> before this. This is, yeah. there might be a notable fatigue towards the end. I think I'm the luckiest one of all that Dublin isn't as hot and sticky today. I think it's, you know, mild stickiness. Um, <laughs> but yeah, happy to be talking about New Japan, my favourite topic in the world. Fantastic. Delighted to have you on as well. And we have our returning champion, Steph Chase. Hello, Steph. How are you? Hey, JP. Nice to talk to you again. I'm too hot as well. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's... Very, very draining, this is. But it's still hot. It's too hot to be indoors. We'll have to pack in all our hot takes at the very start and see where <laughs> we go from there. So, um, first of all, I want to ask, um, I'll start off with yourself, Lison. How did you get into New Japan? I actually don't remember the first time because I know I was watching New Japan in like 2014, 15. But I don't really remember why it started. I think I probably saw some guys in the Indies and thought like, oh, this looks interesting. But I was watching like not on the regular. And I started again in January because everyone was talking about uh, Wrestle Kingdom mm-hmm. and it looked so good. And I just watched it and I was like, yeah, that's it. That's what I was looking for. And I just wanted back again like... The good feeling when I watched wrestling, I wanted back again, like feeling happy watching wrestling because it wasn't the case anymore, really. So that that's just it. Just uh, because people was, were talking about it again. So uh, Before that, I kind of gave up in a way because uh, I used to watch WWE and then uh, American Indies. Uh, a bit of AW recently, and a lot of retress, which I gave up on. Um, and the Japanese wrestling seems like kind of far away enough to have some distance, but also it's a different style. And yeah, it just gave me my faith in wrestling back, I would say. Sarah, how about you? How did you first get into New Japan? JP, I think you'll like this story because it stems from TNA. (laughs) I'm there at TNA. 
you know, back in the glorious 2009, or 2008, 2009, there was two men, Chris Saban and Alex Shelley, Motor City Machine Guns, and they were going off to perform at Wrestle Kingdom. I think it was Wrestle Kingdom 3 in 2009, and they were against No Limit, Yujiro and Naito. And I was such a big Motor City Machine Guns fan, but I was seeing this huge spectacle of Wrestle Kingdom in the Tokyo Dome. And that's kind of the first time I ever watched New Japan. Now, I wasn't a New Japan regular after that, but, you know, I'd keep up with uh, Prince Devitt. You know, I heard him getting buzzed around 2010 that this, you know, well, well, we have Sheamus that's in the WWE. And I watched Becky Lynch on the Independence and Shimmer before she uh, took a sabbatical. Mm. I was like, oh, my God, there's this other, you know, big Irish wrestling star that I've never heard of. And then I took a break for a few years, probably just watched it like bits of it here and there. Um, and then I'd say when I properly started watching religiously again, it was 2016, that best of super juniors um, that everyone talked about at the time. Ricochet was so big. Uh, and yes. then and then from there, that was it. You were hooked. Hooked on the oh. ghetto crazy drug. G- Gatoism is, is real. And that's what I've got into. <laughs> The new Scientology. Steph, how about you? Because I know we've spoken about New Japan, obviously, mm-hmm. a few times, but why New Japan specifically? Well, firstly, like, I'm ashamed of how long it took me to get into New Japan <laughs> because, uh, I mean, I started re- watching wrestling in about 95 or 96, so I'm ashamed how long it took me to get into New Japan. Um so kind of similar to Sarah, I actually got into New Japan because I don't even know how it happened, but I find out about Prince Devon. Um, I find out that there was a wrestler, an Irish wrestler, um, and being an Irish person that supports all other Irish people, I was like, yeah, I have to, I have to see this guy. So I started watching um, probably like, uh, just before he formed Bullet Club. Mm. Um, but I was really, like, very much just focused on him and watching his matches. Um, and then he did... When he started Bullet Club, I think it kind of made New Japan a bit more accessible to English-language fans. Um, so I kind of followed all that. And then when he signed to WWE, um, I was... It's funny to think back to it because I was so happy for him, like when he signed to WWE. And now I think it's like the worst thing that ever happened to him. But at the time, <laughs> like so, just so happy that this guy from Bray, you know, signed to WWE and everything. So yeah, um, so once he signed, then I kind of like fell off a bit, um, didn't watch it as much. Uh, and then what like totally brought me back was Jericho coming to Japan. Mm. Uh, it was absolutely it because um, I'm just a massive Chris Jericho fan, my favorite. So when he did Wrestle Kingdom um, in 2018, I was like, that was the first Wrestle Kingdom I had to sit and like watch live. Mm. And on that show, that's when. Jay White had his match <laughs> and so I, yeah, I watched it to see Jericho and then I got completely 
drawn into Jay White, his like storyline, everything. And I hadn't been like watching anything like really leading up to Wrestle Kingdom, mm-hmm. but I've been listening to like a lot of podcasts that were like going through the card and analysis. Um, so they would talk about him, you know, like he'd say, oh, this, you know, young lion Jay White's coming back and he's got this like questionable gimmick, let's say. <laughs> And I was just like, oh, well, I wonder what that's like. Um, and then, yeah, I was just watching Jay White. Then I continued to keep watching it. And now I'm obsessed with New Japan. <laughs> that, that is, so, yeah, initially it was kind of Prince Devitt's fault, but it's really Jericho's fault. And, um. <laughs> but it's an interesting transition, isn't it? Because you're going from Devitt then on to Jericho, then on to Jay White, and now potentially yeah, it could be any number of people at that stage. It's, yeah, it's, it's that individual wrestler that kind of gets you into it. Yeah, it's like the obvious, like I said, the Devitt thing was, mm. you know, basically just because he's Irish. It like it was that, you know, um, just wanting to see him was just because he's Irish. But then he he was such a great wrestler that, um, and then his kind of character and everything that he did once he formed Bullet Club was so fantastic. Like, that just hooked me on him. So then it just didn't, like, matter that he was Irish anymore. Uh, and then, like, anything Jericho does, I'm, like, totally going to love. But mm-hmm. it took him deciding to do New Japan that, like, opened that kind of door for me to, like, find everything that's great about New Japan and just become so hooked on it. And then, yeah, finding, like, Jay White, someone like at their at their beginning, like truly, to latch on to from that point was really great as well. Well, it's interesting. You lead very nicely into it. You talk about the kind of storylines that are uh, mm-hmm. going on, and and I suppose really between all three of you, and I'll start off with you, Sarah, first. The current state of play in New Japan. How are you? Uh, I mean, how do you find this period now? At, they're at a point where they're running shows. They're going to be running the, um, what's the name of the summer show? I feel like I'd know, I should know this kind of detail. It's terrible. Summer Struggle. That's it. I want to say Summer Sizzler, but that clearly is not the case. Uh, no, not at all. Um, but, uh, yeah, we have Summer Struggle coming up. Uh, Sarah, what do you think of the kind of landscape of New Japan? I think it's actually a really interesting kind of, it's kind of a merging two roads that New Japan, I think, for so long, like since I'd say 2014, 2015, especially, is it's known like for the main events, the five star matches, or if you want to go beyond five stars, depending on, <laughs> on how, you, how you rate your matches. Um, and that's kind of what it's known for. Everyone tunes in. They see that card lineup. They're, they know they're going to get their six mans in the first half and then they're going to get, you know, their three or four bangers in the second half. And I think the current situation has forced them into maybe not having as much depth at the top of the card. So now, like, there's always been these storylines in New Japan that they've pushed on heavily. But now, because the match quality is now stripped back, there's such a focus on these storylines. And especially with the one that's, you know, I think it's talked about to death, but we're going to talk about it to death some more is, is, is evil and his departure from LIJ and, and, you know, the ever evolving story there and Dick to go showing up and everyone going crazy. 
you know, that's the stuff that, you know, there's people that can be two different types of fans. You can be your spreadsheet fan and respect storylines or you just fall in heavily deep in, in, into uh, into storylines. And I like to think I'm a bit of both. So I think right now, for people who are looking for those five-star matches, you're just not going to get them right now because that's not their focus. Their focus is building up all these different storylines. And, and, you know, I think right now New Japan is really rewarding those who have stuck with them and really engaged in all of their content, not just their, you know, shows that they put on. And um, like they, they put on so many different documentaries and web series and, and interviews and, you know, there's Hiromu's becoming a YouTuber, Yano's becoming a YouTuber. There's so many of them becoming YouTubers now and, and creating all this different content. And I really think right now they're rewarding those who are engaging with with all of it. And and even just like with, say, Hiromu in particular, I think if people know me, they know he's my favorite. And I've connected him with him in a way kind of beyond um, just wrestling. You know, he means a lot to me. You know, just his story. And they like he actually Nissan sent me the, the video that he did before it's like Google Lord when he's facing evil. And if you go into that match without watching that, I think you lose a bit of it. You know, they're rewarding people taking the time to watch that video and he did a documentary a few months ago after he came back. You know, he goes through his motivations, you know, he talks why he's not angry at evil. He talks why Mido's not necessarily angry at evil, that LIJ form their own pads and LIJ don't interrupt in each other's matches because it's always a competition and they always want everyone to do their best by themselves. And there's always infighting between them because they all want to be the best. And I think right now that's what they're focusing on. And they're focusing on that particular type of fan who's engaging with that rather than someone who's watching it to add another match to their spreadsheet. Listen, do you feel the same way about that then? I mean, would you say in terms of your type of fandom that, you know, uh, uh, Sarah talks there about the sort of spreadsheet fan and the, the uh, then the kind of character storyline fan. Mm. Do you feel, are you, um, are you the kind of New Japan fan who finds yourself more engaged necessarily by the storylines? And feel rewarded. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think actually or wrestling, I would say I care more about the storylines and the characters and what happens in like after the matches, uh, the little things at ringside during the matches, maybe more than the matches itself. Mm. And like I, I love a good match. Like I love an an amazing match, but sometimes. Like, I prefer just to see the relationships, the characters, uh, the drama, everything around it more than matches. I'm not a, a spreadsheet fan. Like, I never done that. I don't rate matches. I don't, like, I don't care about it that much. Mm. Like, if someone tells me, oh, this is a good, really good match, I will watch it. But it's not what will draw me to a promotion or to, uh, a wrestler. No, no, I just really love to see what happened, like the storylines. And I mean, even more the relationships between the people, which is why I love like New Japan because they have factions. Mm. And that's to me is really important because uh, it builds on a long period of time. Like I know they won't break it off 
uh, in like a year or two. It will take time, and I love to see that, to see the building of that. And it makes a betrayal, like evil just did, even worse or better. Like it depends on how we see it. But to me, it, it's way better. So you're like kind of following the flow of the narrative, really, aren't you? I mean, do you find yourself doing yeah. that, that, Steph? Because you'll watch things like those. I mean, because I must confess, I, I haven't necessarily engaged with as many of the documentaries. There's certain types of documentaries that I like about them. But I, I, do you? Is obviously you're a massive New Japan fan. Do you you engage with that? And do you find that to be the case in terms of the Lij storyline, and that perhaps what lots of fans are missing? Yeah. No, I absolutely like agree with uh, everything that's been said. Um, to me, New Japan, <clears throat> it's to me, it's like wrestling, like high art, <laughs> and it almost like makes you feel like uh, some kind of like snob when you're watching, when you're someone that's really intricately into it, because you cannot explain to someone that doesn't watch New Japan hmm. what it's like to be invested in Japan storylines because if you take someone like obviously I watched all the WWE stuff as well and like I don't want to you know just bash them or anything but I've not been invested in any way in the WWE storyline or character in an extremely long time. You're not alone on that. No. Yeah um and New Japan is like a totally different experience. It's almost like, um, like I feel like a kid again, but I'm not in a way, but in a way where like I'm intellectually satisfied as an adult. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I, I find the stuff that made me fall in love with wrestling when I was very little and didn't understand everything. Uh, I feel like that's in happiness watching New Japan with how they do storylines i like uh, like i said about how i got very like invested in jay white like i never thought i'd get invested in another wrestler again like that at all hmm. in like my whole life you know um and the way they you, you just want like that connection with a wrestler like if you take someone like jericho for me like he's been entertaining me for like 20 years now and for me, like, that's a fully developed character where everything he does, I understand. And there's, like, a, a line through it where I can mm. look at his whole career. And I don't see that with pretty much any modern wrestlers. But when you get to New Japan, you get all those storylines. Like, uh, when it comes to, like, someone like Jay White, like, you know, I know what a lot of people have, like, their criticisms about him. But I think if you were, like, truly watching what he's doing... You know, it's... <laughs> Sarah's furiously nodding during this. <laughs> I, I will vouch for JY anytime I can, so I fully agree. <laughs> well, like, I feel, and this is maybe a totally separate, like, topic that I maybe, like, shouldn't, like, segue into, but when it comes to, like, Jay White, um, like, I'm at the point where I am, like, on edge mentioning him because... In my in my experience, um, men like don't like him, and when you vouch for him as a woman, they take it in a totally different way. And this is something that I've battled with so much that literally a couple of months ago, I was like, I'm never even going to tweet anything nice about him again because literally, like the replies I would get from men 
like thinking that it was something else was just infuriating me so much. And it, for some reason, he brings that out in people, which I find to be so odd. I'm well aware of it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I've been doing a podcast where we've kind of been absolutely brutal about him. And, and no, it's... But- I think, like, mm. it's, I know, like, your guys' opinion on Jay, and, mm. you know, I have spoken to Joe about this, obviously, and, um, they're that not, great. <laughs> yeah, but they're not coming at it, like, from the same angle. Like, I can totally understand, like, Joe's, like, criticism of everything. So when I talk about guys like that, like, I actually don't mean you guys and Joe, but there's, like, other certain guys where I don't know what it is about him, but they, if you have a, if you're a woman with a good opinion on him, they will absolutely dismiss it as something else that like you just basically that you just fancy him, which I don't get when I give a good opinion about any other wrestler. And it's really weird. And um, I don't know, but I don't know if any of like the rest of you have experienced that with a wrestler, but it's like, for me, like that's the one who like brings that, like I can say something positive about anyone else. And I don't, get like what you get when it comes to him <laughs> i feel like i like i actually just get it on a general basis now i think i'm lucky that i'm a bit older now to the point that people are like no she actually likes wrestling so yeah. no yeah. She, she's talking about it for the right reasons but i think for so long you just get like oh yeah i like this wrestler oh you only like them you know you're only watching them because you you find them attractive and yeah. you know like you you do make the jokes i think I, any wrestling fan makes a joke about like someone i bought a show in your picture book who am i to say you know i bought you know you, you know what i mean so i kind of i can take most of the brunts but like yeah. and then it comes to a point where it's like especially jay white and i do agree i think jay white's kind of the number one and I think Jay White's brilliant. I really do. I think what he does in the ring is he tells such a magnificent story and his character is there to be the spoiler and ruin these big moments for these big baby face characters. I think it's brilliant. And the way that he makes people so angry actually makes me laugh. I just think it's hilarious yeah. because he's doing his job. And I yeah, it, it is funny how we I think we just look at it in such a different way to a lot of people. It's like it came to the point where I like felt like that certain like just a group of certain men on the on the internet were like like trying to like basically push their own narrative that I was like Jay White's number one supporter when it's like actually <laughs> there's like many wrestlers I like and I haven't ranked them yet. But it was just funny that, like, he's the one, like, because these certain people, like, just, like, don't get it, that they cling to and want to make, like, another narrative about it because, like, they just can't understand. <laughs> and I don't know. The way I feel is, like, I've I've got on the Jay White train at the right time and give it a while and everyone's going to be hopping on, you know, give it a couple of years for sure. Do you feel the same way about Jay White, Lisson? Uh, not really. It's not that I don't like him or whatever, but I think I've only really started watching New Japan back in January. So Mm. sometimes I'm a bit behind and since March he's not been there. So I've not seen a lot of him actually. Mm. Uh, But my best friend is a really, really big fan. So I hear about him uh, a lot, (laughs) but um, I don't, I I don't dislike him. Uh, I think he's, a great heel. I mean, if people hate him, it's 
he's doing his job. Um, but uh, I don't necessarily think that if women like a wrestler for his looks, I don't think it's a bad thing. Like, I know I've started to look at some wrestler just because I thought they were hot at first. Like, I was like, oh, he's good looking. Let's let's see. And then I discovered that they are really good and they do amazing matches and stuff. So just like to say that I know a lot of men are like, oh, you watch it because they're hot and stuff. And it's not all true because I wouldn't spend hours watching wrestling just because people are hot. <laughs> but also, what if, like, what if people want to spend hours and time and love just because they're hot? I don't know, like, let yeah. people watch stuff, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's, like, I think it's got better, like, now, but I think certainly, like, for a lot of men, especially a couple of years ago, like, I just couldn't comprehend women being really invested in wrestling. Yeah. Take, like, the fact that New Japan's, like, um, even more niche than WWE. It's like they're trying to like find some other reason mm. you like it, other than the fact that you just completely love it and like drawn to it like intellectually and emotionally and whatever. And it's yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say it's interesting you mentioned that because I know Sarah um, talking about like the kind of niche appeal. New Japan as a company always seems to understand that they have this large female audience and they and they really are absolutely happy to embrace it. I mean, Sarah, you spoke about the show in your picture book. <laughs> That's who it's there to aim for, no? So it's doing its job. It's entirely like doing the job of attracting it. But is it the fact that for some men, that it's not something that's made to appeal to men when it comes to wrestling. That just sort of sends the rage buttons going and people sort of lose the plot about things like that. And because I, it, I was doing a bit of research before uh, looking into this and the fact that, sort of, you know, New Japan had a concentrated campaign around sort of Tanahashi and in a kind of appearing in shops at like kind of supermarkets and things like that. The stuff that we don't really see that is kind of on the outside public personas that they have. The fact that you've got, um, I remember Hiromu's friend who's in a, who was doing commentary on the last show is in a popular band. And these are things that we're kind of missing. And I'd have to admit fans like me miss because we've had it kind of driven to us that it's kind of new Japan, the match promotion. And that the storylines are better. Well, I don't know if you'd agree with this. They're kind of very character-driven. The storylines are meant to be organic. They're kind of intertwined with each other like a soap opera, but they have their characters, and, and that's the appeal of watching them develop. Do you think that that's something that, that men are generally missing from this, is that actually half the fun of this is this, this isn't the form of presentation that we're used to getting, and that's why we're inherently all more interested in these characters even if we're not necessarily saying it and we're screaming match quality. I'll, I'll go to you, Steph, on that one. Another convoluted question that doesn't sound like a question at all. Uh, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, it's funny because it's um, they do put on the best matches as far as match quality goes. Um, but at the same time, like, that's really not the, the drawing factor. Like, all their characters are... Um, way more than like one dimensional characters like all all of them you can say like so much about and if you take something like 
WWE that are definitely still just trying to appeal to like straight white men. The way they do characters are so like plain and basic to the point where they're all just different variations of the same robot. Like that don't, you don't get that in Japan. Um, and yeah, when you look at the New Japan audience, what, like what first struck me looking at the audience was how many women there were in it, which is something that you only kind of recently see more now in like American audiences, but women in New Japan audiences like love it as much as the men or they seem even more excited than men. And like, that's just so nice to, to see. But I think it is probably because of the more character-driven storylines and because, the and also like long-term booking of characters and storylines gives you the opportunity to be invested in them. If you take someone like um, Hiromu, like he, his like character, it, it doesn't just like change every couple of months, whatever, like you can get invested in that person. It's such a long term booking thing if you look like right now uh, Seth Rollins is doing this Messiah character he started this a couple of months ago this is just like it's like literally out of nowhere it seems and in a couple of months he's going to be a different character basically and there's just like not something to cling to uh, in that character like you may like him as a wrestler or whatever but there's not actually something about Seth Rollins, the wrestling character, that you can carry with you throughout, like, your whole fandom of him in the way that there is in New Japan. And I know that even when, like, say if Jay White comes back and turns baby face, it will make sense. Like, I have true, like, faith that it will make sense and everything he's done before that will, it's all, will connect to where, it's the same person that you can be invested in. So going on to the kind of evil turn, mm-hmm. do you think it works? Do you think yeah. the evil reign will mean something? Is it just something there for effectively to get the belt back onto Naito and it's the kind of placeholder of building him up? Is it about the LIJ story? And is it kind of hinting at where that possibly could go? Uh, yeah, I absolutely think the evil turn means something. Um, and I think that it's not, uh, like a, it's definitely not like a, we're in a pandemic, everyone's gone move. Mm, and yeah, it, yeah. that's actually been proven with stuff that's, um, been said. Like, I know last week Jericho said on his live stream that he basically knew like that evil was going to end up like becoming a champion like within a year. So I think with people that are like dismissing it as something like Gato's gone mad, like he's not, he's, you know, he's like planned this out. Um, He's got the conspiracy wall chart up. He's pointing <laughs> yeah. at it. He's, yeah. Um, but to me, like, um, the storyline certainly makes sense if you, like, look at the right mm-hmm. in Japan. If you kind of go back to, like, yeah, of course, Evil was going to be the guy that turned um, because he's the guy that kind of kind of got, like, the least attention, really. Like, there's Naito in there. There's Hiromu. We all love Hiromu. Uh, Sonata... Like, all you ever hear about is how handsome Sonata is. And I just imagine Evil, you know, just sitting quietly staring about how mad he is over, like, being being that, that guy. But when it comes to, like, for example, like, the match he had with Hiromu, and I was watching that match, 
And yes, I did have to watch most of it in hairdressers. And I was so invested and excited in that match. And because I had to watch it on my phone in the hairdressers, I wasn't on Twitter. So I was just watching it like so edge of my seat. And I go on Twitter and people are like shitting on it so hard. And like the storyline. And I just like, were you watching something else? Like, and I just think that people weren't, um, they certainly didn't do what we did as far as watching like these, the extra videos that they made. Um, they didn't get that investment. I think they literally just thought like, Gato made a crazy decision by putting, making evil John Bullock Club and putting the belt on him because there's a pandemic going on. And then, and everything's, he's now like lost the plot when I just don't see it as that at all. I, I saw it as really good and it's going to mean something and it's going to go somewhere and it all fits perfectly with LIJ. Like, I mean, like I can see it from two sides. Half of me is like, match quality hasn't been great. And I will admit that evil as a sole entity, like his New Japan Cup run wasn't great because he was introducing all these little different steps mm. to becoming this character. So the hints were there. The hints were there when we, they came back from the pandemic. Like, something's a bit off with this guy. He is cheating. Like, he's beating Yoshihashi down in the chair in, in 90 seconds. And, Always good. Like, <laughs> entertaining. That's like the like, best thing, though, when you can look back and see like, those seeds. Yeah, like, and, and that's what New Japan do so well. That they lay these seeds. Like, actually, just before we started recording, we were just talking about the video and how, like, Naido said that Evil's, like, the worst person in LIJ. Mm. He, like, he's so out of, if he had to rank them, Evil's at the bottom, like, a few months before this all happened. Mm. And, but I can see from people's side. Like, and he's oh, the first recruit, fun. isn't he? Of course. Yeah, so the first it, one. It plays into that. So he's not Nido's favorite anymore. Everyone's jumped. Everyone's jumped in in the rankings, and like yeah, I didn't really enjoy the Okada match. I didn't really enjoy the Nido match. But what I did enjoy was her, the Hiromu match, and it was because of Hiromu. And Hiromu made it feel very important. Evil, actually, Alan Forel wrote a really good piece in PW Torch about it. And I was like, I, I read through it and I just kind of hit the nail on the head. Those two have one of those intertwined relationships that people don't really pay attention to anymore. Like they were both in the dojo together. Evil actually jumped Hiromu in, in the rankings and he went off on a terrible excursion first. And, and whilst Hiromu was still there, whilst Naido was his mentor whilst he was in the dojo, Hiromu then goes off and also has a pretty bad excursion in Europe goes to Mexico, finds his feet, and comes back this big, huge star. And and Evil, not so much a big, huge star, but comes back and joins LIJ. And Hiromu's like, well, I'm going to join my mentor and my best friend from when I was a, a young lion in this faction so we can all be together. And Hiromu alludes to that, that that's the reason why he joined LIJ, was because Evil was there. So moving on from that, Hiromu gets injured. Evil does part of his hair red for Hiromu, brings his jacket out mm. for these roll calls. And it's like, people are expecting Hiromu to immediately hate this guy. Like, mm. like that's not how mm. things work. You don't just suddenly turn your back on your lifelong friend and be like, I hate him now. You and know. he's like, no, I can see his motivations. And you know what? This is a great opportunity for me to become champion. Like he, he said back in the best of Super Juniors in 2018, he wants to become double champion. 
And what now, two years later, he can become double champion. Why is he going to go into this match mad? <laughs> you know, mm. if you look at all these logical steps, you're like, this makes so much sense. And, you know, if you have all of that backstory going in, okay, I didn't really enjoy Evil's half of the match, but I enjoyed Hiromu's half of the match because I'm invested in him. Mm. And I, I think I said beforehand, Hiromu's the guy for me. I don't care if it doesn't make sense in my logical storyline booking in my head and my match quality, my anything. I want Hiromu to win because I, he's my favorite wrestler and I want him to win. Mm. You know, he could be up against, you know, he could have been in that, you know, the double dash at the dome against, you know, Okada or Naito in the finals and I would have wanted him to win even though it makes no sense, you know, because I want him to win. And I think a lot of people don't have that. You know, if you don't, like, I think we talked about it so much, that character connection, like Lisan's Tanahashi, Steph, you're, you're um, Jay White. We all have that someone that we want to see them win. And it doesn't matter, like, mm-hmm. who they're against or if it's going to be a five-star match. We're going to be happy if they win. And that's, I think that's a big part of it. I'll honestly admit that when Jay White won the title, I was watching that match and having followed his journey when he won I a tear came out and I started crying and it was like an unexpected you know when you're like oh I know I'm gonna cry this just came out and I was just sitting there going I'm a grown woman crying at this and I don't know when the last time like I cried at something like a wrestling you know match type you know thing certainly like someone winning a belt because frankly like if someone wins a belt WWE it doesn't mean anything but um Jay White, when he won that belt, it made me unexpectedly produce tears. And I realized like that is a level of investment that I had in that that cannot be replicated. You know, like that for me just like hit me as a moment of like how invested I am in, in this character. Like this is something that I followed in a way where if you, you know, follow a, a TV show uh, or movies and it means something to you like this is the same thing like this wasn't just wrestling this was this whole amazing story that I watched and now we're at this great like climactic moment like it was just it was just like such a weird feeling that made me realize like wow like wrestling really got me again and I can't think of the last time I honestly think the last time it really got me on that level is probably way back in 1998 when Triple H did an intercontinental title feud with The Rock. <laughs> it was the <laughs> time like it got me on that like level, and like I was so young then that I was gonna cry all the time watching things. <laughs> you know, I don't want to know how many times I've cried watching Homo. I cried when he hit the time bomb too, and I completely <laughs> forgot Dick to go was there. I thought he was gonna win. Yeah, like, come on! <laughs> I cried too at that match, like the latest one. I cried because it, and I said it on Twitter. It was like, well, people were criticizing it, like nitpicking every move, every bit of storyline, and I was like, yeah, but I'm the one being happy, crying, feeling all those emotions. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I feel like I'm winning when I watch it because I don't nitpick everything. Mm. Yeah. And I, I kind of cried today. I was at work, so I did not cry. But Ibushi leaving without Tanahashi? No. that I, I almost cried. I was like, no, don't do this to me. Don't, please. I just want everyone happy. Don't, 
Please don't. I wanted to ask you about Tanahashi, actually, because obviously yeah. he's his story. You're kind of jumping in really at yeah. the end, aren't you? Yeah, I do, and that makes me sad. <laughs> I should have jumped way before. Have you um, gone back and retrospectively gone through sort of the early parts yeah. of his career? And yeah, I do. Uh, when I have time, I like pick a random match. Like, not uh, necessarily, not a five-star match, not, like, the biggest one, just a random one. Mm. Just like that, but, uh, yeah, and I think he's really great. I'm, I'm a bit sad that his health's not that good anymore. Uh, I think he can do, he can still do good things, because uh, also I feel like Golden Ace had a really short run. Like, they won the belt in... They lost its first defense because of the pandemic and stuff. But I feel like it's not usual of New Japan to have uh, a team for a really short amount of time. So I'm a bit surprised to try to break them off right now. Hmm. I really don't know what they are trying to do, but if it leads to a Tanahashi versus Ibushi, for Ibushi to go win belts for himself, I'm fine with it. Hmm. Hmm. It's the role of Tanahashi's career at this stage, isn't it, sadly? Now, yeah. Now, yeah. yeah. And uh, if knowing that he's, like, Kota's idol, uh, it makes it even more... Like, it's again, it's all the characters and relationships and how they feel about each other. It makes it even more heartbreaking, but even more important. Did you watch, finally, did you watch um, My Dad is a Heel Wrestler? Out of curiosity. Yeah, yeah I did. Thoughts? Um, I, I think it was fun. It was cute. Mm. And I only watched it because Tanahashi was in it. But I think it was all right, actually. And the matches were good because obviously it was like Okada and everyone jumping in. So it was not bad at all. I liked it. It was surprisingly good for something that if it was Western would be the worst film on earth. I think so. (laughs) have, Have you all seen My Dad as a Heel Wrestler? Yeah. It says a lot, isn't it? We're watching Japanese kids' movies now. That's the stage yeah. that we're, we're all at. I, I have to say, I thought it was... They were much better. And I suppose this kind of ties in, again, with all of the sort of character things that you've got. Obviously, Bullet Club. Where does that go over the next few months? Because I don't know about you. Did you... Was there not a point where you just thought Bullet Club is incredibly stale? It's just full of the kind of same old kind of gaijin sub nwo nonsense did you all feel like that so like i know people like you know shit on bullet club but like to me they have they have like a complete purpose of being these like the most like disrespectful faction like originally like like they were originally formed to be like the rude gaijins that like were in everything. Mm. Um, but I actually, I think all incarnations of Bullet Club have been pretty good. Like I don't relate it to the NWO, um, at all. <laughs> like the way the NWO got like diluted. I think the Bullet Club stayed pretty strong. I, I like the way that they, they changed leaders. Um, like they've had like such a great run of, of leaders. And I think that just, with Jay, it just he wasn't someone that was established 
Um, I mean, especially was not established to an outside of New Japan audience. So if you have someone that's not like really that into New Japan, like Chin Yun, it's like, oh, Jay White's lead of Bullet Club now, like that must be pretty crap. But I mean, to me, it wasn't. Um, and each kind of incarnation is something different. So, but now I don't know what they're going to do when he comes back. Like, I can't, it's, I just don't know. It's going to be so interesting because part of me thinks like, are we going to get like two separate factions? Like a, basically like a Gaijin Bullet Club and a non, because there's now so many Japanese members of the Bullet Club, which is kind of against what Bullet Club originally was. Uh, are they going to turn Jay White face, which would be really, really interesting. Um, I like, I don't know what they're going to do with him when he comes back. I like as much as I didn't truly believe that it would happen. Like I was just waiting for him to run out during the Hiromu evil match. <laughs> and I was thinking like, imagine if he saved Hiromu, this would be like the greatest thing that would happen. Like, because, because um, there was so much, like, interference in that match with, like, Dick Togo and everything. And, like, I was just like, oh, my God, is Jay White going to come and see him? <laughs> Imagine that. But obviously he didn't. But I don't – I just don't know what they're going to do with him. But I'm so intrigued. And I – but I do hope they don't turn him face because he's an epically good promo as a bad guy. And people – that's the, – the other thing about New Japan is – you have to watch the post-match promos because if you haven't watched Jay White do post-match promos, mm. I, you're not allowed to have an opinion on him. <laughs> I think he's he's such a great post-match promo, but you do you do have to watch those things as well to get like a better idea of who these wrestlers are. Do you think, Sarah, we're missing something? Then? I mean, because it's funny, like I mentioned, like, Steph doesn't see the sort of NWO stuff. And it just kind of made me think, is there too many fans who have, it's too much of the 90s. And the 90s always butts into these conversations about what we expect from a group and a faction. And it's that kind of, we can't let go of that because that was the last kind of glory period. And there's still a part of that, possibly for older fans. But then we also bang it into the hand of, into the heads of newer fans. Well, you need to need to watch the Monday Night Wars at various points, otherwise you won't kind of get really what a big star is. Um, do you find it to be like that, Sarah? And in fact, that yeah, that we're missing the point. I think so a little bit. And like I have to say, like I was lucky when I was younger. Like I have two older brothers, and they're not significantly older than me, but like they're definitely a different generation. Like they're the generation that were teenagers in the Attitude Era. And, you know, so they grew up in that. So I had all these tapes and, yes, VHS tapes in my house. So big part of my wrestling childhood was I didn't watch I didn't watch that wrestling in live time. I watched it. I went back and started watching from like 94 onwards, WWE, uh, well, WWF. So I think like I watched some of that back and I was like, this isn't actually very good. Like, why do people talk about this in such mm. like a high level, especially all these people who focus on match quality? I'm like. Well, what match quality was there back then? Not, not a lot. <laughs> like there was your, like I like Bret Hart and Owen Hart, but that was before the Attitude Era, and then it got kind of bad because what they focus on the characters and they focus on all these relationships. So like I do get why people harping back, but like you can't, we can't always compare back to stuff that happened twenty years ago. I think I think we kind of, you know, 
we get ourselves into that thing, well, oh, that's been done before. Well, yeah, everything's been done before. Look at TV and and cinema and music. Everyone's like, oh, that's been done before. So I think we just kind of fall down this rabbit hole. And like, I don't know, I thought Bullet Club, like, I think they're cool. You know, I'm wearing a Kenta shirt. You can't really see it. But like him joining, like him joining Bullet Club is one of the coolest things I have ever seen in my life. You know, like he took like that G1, he was getting booed. No one was respecting him. And he was like, well, what have I done? Well, people didn't see him as, a, you know, one of their own. He's this guy who was in Noah. He went off to WWE. Now he's, you know, just joined New Japan because his buddy Shibata got him in. And no one respected him. And what does he do then? He turns his back on Shibata, turns his back on everyone. You know, Shibata hits him with that hesitation drop kick, which is ingrained in my mind. You know, like that stuff's cool. And then he comes out for the main event and they're all wearing their matching shirts. They all have their matching track suits. They're just, they were just cool, you know? And I understand why people maybe thought, you know, the Bucks and Kenny weren't cool because like they're kind of nerdy. Like I like them. I'm a big Kenny fan. Like the, they were nerdy. But now I think Bullet Club are cool again. Like I don't feel like I could I can wear a Bullet Club shirt to a wrestling show now and feel like I'm okay with this. Whereas maybe two years ago, you know, I probably would have even side yeah, I would have side eyed people for wearing a Bullet Club shirt. But now I'm like, you know what? We've done a full circle. They're cool again. It's fine. <laughs> Bullet Club are cool. Like that's just a fact. Is <laughs> it is it not too top heavy though? With Kenta, Evil, and Jay White in there. No, like, I thought when Kenta joined, like, it was a struggle genius, like, given his whole, like, mm. G1 experience and how he basically did not belong in New Japan. So if you don't belong, you kind of, you join the, what's basically like the foreigner group because he kind of is a foreigner in a way because he didn't come up to New Japan. So that's, like, made total sense, but... Uh, no, I don't think they're like too top heavy, but we can't just because because like Jay hasn't come back, the rest of them hasn't come back. We can't like see how that's going to work out. But um, I get like this current incarnation. Like I love their, their matching outfits, like the way they come out as well. I don't get how, why people are constantly shitting on Gato's wardrobe. I <laughs> I think he looks I think he looks great every time. <laughs> like, but. Dick Togo, though, does wear a lot of this stuff better, no? Yeah, Dick Togo looks amazing. <laughs> active, active ghetto. Beret, like, it was, it was so, it was so good. Uh, but the, let's go back to the 90s thing. I think people, um, they just have, like, there's such, like, glory days of, like, attitude, everything, because they, like, grew up on it. And, you know, I watched it at the time. Um, it was it was a great time, but at the same time, like I was very young. Um, but how they did things then, like that is not how you have to do it. Like the only, I think the best thing you can take from the Attitude Era is just to give everyone a character and a storyline. Like that's the best thing the Attitude Era did, even if the matches were crap and even if some of the storylines were suggestible like um everyone kind of had one even at the bottom of the card and they don't do that 
properly in American wrestling anymore, but they do in New Japan, really. I have a totally different like point of view, as I didn't watch wrestling back then, because it wasn't really a thing in France. Uh, I watched a bit of WWE because my earliest memories were Undertaker. Like, I don't know why I have like this flash of memories of him, but it was not well known. So I don't have that point of view. I'm relatively really, really new mm. to wrestling. So when people bring back like old stuff, um, I think it's just because it was part of their childhood. Like you, you love something way more if you saw it as, as a kid. But, um, I probably, I could not tell you why because I didn't live it. Like, but uh, yeah, I think people are kind of stuck in it for the people who are stuck in it because it was important to them, like as a nostalgia kind of thing. Hmm. But it still kind of rains heavy these days as well, doesn't it? It still has that kind of... It's still the same decision maker, certainly, in the West. I mean, it's still... You hear yeah. Eric Bischoff possibly appearing yeah, yeah, on AEW, know. and it's just like your head in your I know, hands. I know of all that, and uh, maybe that's why I don't really like Western mm. uh, wrestling anymore. Maybe because it doesn't appeal to me anymore. Uh, maybe because I feel like it's always kind of the same things over and over again. And I don't, I don't know. It's, it's probably it plays in it for sure. Mm. I was just gonna say, like, if you take something like Evil, um, you know, turning to Bullet Club and then like becoming champion, uh, that, like, to me, that's just fantastic. Like, like, Gato just went full on with this. Like, we're making this guy like double champion. And what frustrates me is something like WWE is like. They do not get behind people in the same way. Like they're not brave enough to to do that um, and to actually like plan out storylines. Um, there's, you know, I've already heard people say like uh, that they think that Drew's gonna like lose the belt at SummerSlam. Oh, if that happens, who's it gonna go to? Randy Orton. How long have I been watching Randy Orton? Like mm-hmm. I can't believe I am still watching Randy Orton. And I can't believe I'm still watching the big show. And the fact that there's even the thought of, um, like, stopping, I would, like, honestly, even if, like, I'm at the point where even if Drew was bad, which he's not, I would say just please go full hog with this guy because he's at least a young guy that you have the chance to, like, build something with. But they just have to hang on to the older guys and they will never give someone that proper investment endorsement mm-hmm. to actually make them a star and Gator would do like he put the belt in Jay White he didn't like he didn't keep the belt for very long but he gave Jay that endorsement and that kind of like faith in him to actually make him someone that it doesn't seem to happen over in WWE yeah I was kind of saying that the other day that uh, people were are complaining a lot that Nothing new happens, but when something new happens, like evil, mm-hmm. they complain too. Yeah. So, like, what what do you want, like, for real? And I think as well, it's, it's one of the kind of final things I, I just wanted to bring up from sort of the evil points is, 
is that maybe we're missing something with the actual match style as well. I mean, it's a dangerous move to kind of deliberately wind up your audience. Yeah. But if you have the kind of level of investment because of the characterization, can you get away with that? And I think recently I was just sort of trying to make a very crass comparison with, say, a Game of Thrones, doing things like killing off big characters when it was good in the early seasons. And <laughs> that kind of, of, of a thing would shake up the show and it would normally kind of think, well, how are you going to cope without this character? But in fact, it's part of a bigger plan and it makes sense within that. And Ghetto's got enough goodwill, hasn't he, uh, uh, at that point? Someone we haven't mentioned, but Akada. I don't want to explain the King of Pro Wrestling tournament. I don't <laughs> know what it is, other than Jeff Jarrett seems to have worked. He might be running two companies at the same time, in which case, God bless you, Jeff. But is this part of his character, the bit where he hasn't got the title, so he kind of loses the plot? Because the last time we had balloons and long trousers, didn't we? So I don't know, Sarah. I mean, how do you feel about it? I think people say he's stale because you, there's. I think no matter what company it is, you can have like a man on top for so long, mm. and like he was a very dominant champion for for a lot of time. Like when you look back from maybe 2016 onwards, how long has he held that belt in that time? It's quite a lot of time. Like I'm a huge Okada fan. I don't have the investment in him like I do maybe some other people. But, like, I know when I'm going to sit down and Okada's in the main event, he's going to deliver and he's going to deliver every time. Like, he is your go-to. Like, if you're like, ooh, what match will I put on? Yeah, um, like, Okada has a few bangers. Let's let's put him on. Yeah. And I, I think it took him a while to kind of be comfortable in himself that he can go off now and dye his hair red, wear balloons, change his music up that he's gone mad hitting Rocky over the head with balloons, you know, appearing Yano DVDs and just giggling and being himself. And I think you're right. I think it is kind of part of his character. And he's, a le- he's kind of being more of himself. Mm. Like at the very beginning of the Rainmaker, it's just very polished, you know, covered in gold, money. You know, he, he drives a Ferrari. He's, you know, he's, he's money. Whereas now I think we're seeing a bit more of the authentic, real Okada bits that we see in other wrestlers are finally coming out in him to allow fans go that extra mile because all you hear from Okada from other wrestlers like here on podcasts like Okada seems to be the nicest guy you know it's you know he loves just going out having a good time after shows you know drinking a few drinks you know getting on karaoke you know you hear nothing but good stories of Okada the person and I think for so long we saw him as this just polished guy who would put on these great matches but there wasn't a lot of depth to him other than that and I think it kind of adds that nice story to him like I don't think he's stale I mean he just had my eyes two five-star matches in January what more do you want from the man (laughs) (laughs) we are brutal on a card aren't we Steph sometimes like any criticism of him is just like we've kind of forgotten this he had two Mm. of the greatest series of matches that have ever existed but I think his char- I think his character, like I love the whole red hair balloon thing. Like that made him like a complex. That's now made him like a complex character, and he is definitely someone that started off as like yes, being this polished like the great Okada, and then he had basically this breakdown. And what we're at now, like um, 
as Sarah was saying, about I think him as a person, like from the stories I've heard about him as a person, he seems to be quite a goofy person actually. Mm. Um, and he's like he's letting that out, but he's definitely there because he's so great as a wrestler and like a five star wrestler, he could literally be just a robot um type no character person but he's so much more like layered than that um whether he's like in the main event or not um you know all respect to Okada like I don't know what this kind of (laughs) but like I'm certainly excited you know with New Japan because you have to give them that goodwill of I know so many people like what like what the hell is this like this is going to be awful but um I think it's going to be really interesting to see them do like different types of matches because like that's not something you get in New Japan. So they're giving us, you know, something different. Um, this one, how do you feel about Okada? Uh, I, I like him. Like, um, uh, like Sarah would say, he's not like my all time favorite, but mm. when I see him, I'm, I'm happy. Like I'm like, Oh, that's Okada. He's going to do a great match. He's going to be fun. Is cool, uh, and I think the king of pro wrestling thing is really funny because it feels like Okada is like I can't have the belt, then I'm gonna make a title for myself. It's like I'm gonna do my own thing now, and I'm really interested in seeing that because it's gonna be different type of matches. New Japan is always like uh, six man tag match or singles, and. Yeah, I'm excited to see where it leads. And I hope Okada wins and he's like, this my title. No one can have it. I created it for myself. <laughs> it almost suggests that the whole purpose of it might be, I'm not saying Okada going mad. Well, I did say it earlier on, didn't I? Okada <laughs> going a bit mad and, and then he does this and he kind of has to create his own title and everything else in the meantime. But he gets bored easily. Um, I did want to kind of... Uh, finish off and it's not necessarily about New Japan but um, it's really about sort of Dragon Gate now I know Steph you don't watch Dragon Gate yeah. listen you've just started watching Dragon Gate yep Sarah you, Sarah you love a bit of Dragon Gate yeah and, I do and obviously as well and um, like what do you make of of sort of Dragon Gate in comparison to New Japan because you're talking about we were talking about female audiences earlier on. You were at Budokan. You went, though, but you said your first show that you went to when you were in Japan was a Dragon Gate show. And how did you find that? Was there anything comparable between the two experiences? I mean, I was probably so jumped up on energy. Like, it was, I, I got to Japan, and the first thing I did when I got to Japan, no word of a lie, is I went into a shop and bought a Dragon Gate ticket. Um, and like it wasn't even a big show it's just this random you know tour that they were doing it was like day four of you know and it was all tag matches there's no single match to be had in the card and what just Cork in itself is special and then seeing that laid out and there's some other promotions laid out like everyone has their different feel and Dragon Gate I think actually has a very homely feel to it and I think even you see online I have to say, Dragon Gate fans are like the friendliest fans you will find online, and they're just so happy to share this experience with other people and educate other people. 
because I think like New Japan, it has this depth and these stories and these relationships with all these wrestlers. And that's definitely something that I found. Like I was so happy to see at the time natural vibes were still a thing. And to see the natural vibes dance and see Genki Horiguchi, a guy that I, you know, he was probably my first favorite Dragon Gate guy, him and BB Hulk. And then like I got to see who I used to, I still call them Speed Muscle, like Doi and Yoshino. I saw them, I saw them team with Ultimo Dragon. <laughs> I was like, and I, kind of, I was kind of sitting there like, who am I? Like, I like Dragon Gate. I'm not like the Dragon Gate fan. I'm like, who am I that I get to see him, you know, coming back after leaving before Dragon Gate was established? You know, with Doi and Yoshino, two of the biggest Dragon Gate wrestlers of all time. And I was kind of just sitting there like, like, is this real? Like, it's it's a very special feeling. And I think the Dragon Gate system and the Dragon Gate story really rewards people. And if you just go back in and just dive in head first and you learn about the Jimmies and you learn about, you know, Shingo and BB's Hulk's relationship. And I think it's a very special company. I was also going to ask you, Sarah, what was in terms of the makeup of the audience? Because we hear about Dragon Gate being particularly popular with women. In Japan, in New Japan, when they've done their audience surveys, they say they look at a sort of 60-40 ratio of uh, males to females. Was, was that very much your experience of it? Yeah, I think so. I think that was it was around the same, I'd say, 60-40. To be honest, nearly all the shows I went to that weekend, I'd say were 60-40. Mm. Um you know, like I went to a stardom show as well, and even that was sixty forty. You now, like I was sitting in a particular section that was for women only. Yes. And it, I thought that was interesting in itself, but I also just bought the ticket because it was the cheapest one, <laughs> so I wasn't particularly buying it for any other reason. I was like, fine, cheap ticket. Good, good work. Um, but yeah, it, it is interesting the makeup, and like I was lucky enough to to go to Budokan to the G one finals, and it is. It is just so nice just to see like a sea of men and women just going in to enjoy their wrestling, and yeah, like I think it's it's very different in in Japan. I'm so jealous. Uh, listen, <laughs> you've just started on Dragon Gate, and, and you're sort yeah. of dipping in and out. Do you find there's yeah. big similarities between that and New Japan? Uh I, I would say a bit like um, in the faction kind of way they do have a lot of faction and they're they are really important and all mm. the relationship between the people in said faction are like really important but um i think what i like with dragon gate is that it's a bit smaller and like sarah said a bit homely like mm. it has a, i don't i know i can watch it and just not think about anything just like it will be fun it will be uh, just good matches and cool people and stuff. And I think also they do um, speak a lot. Like there are a lot of promos. Mm. And the problem right now is that we don't have um, translation. So sometimes mm. you're a bit lost. Uh, they do commentary now again. So it's good. In English. No Larry Dallas, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, sometimes you're a bit lost because they do talk a lot, and it seems really funny and cool. 
which you just don't get it. So hopefully you can learn Japanese enough to understand. But um, it it just feel more cool, more, and maybe it's because there are less uh, Western fans. So like you go on Twitter and the fans are just happy to watch. Like there is no debate, no people angry at stuff. It's just oh, it was a nice show. It was fun and cool, mm. you know. You didn't get people like well, I can remember. Yeah, when Ben K beat Pack. And I think the only time I've ever seen any time that people were angry about Dragon Gate was just to do with Pack not losing. Well, and I was watched suddenly I was actually, this kind of anger at him. I actually, no, I didn't watch that yet. I did watch another, another match, but yeah, people were angry because Pack lost. I'm not too surprised. <laughs> but Ben Ben K is the best. So, I yeah. Mean, I'm I'm big on Benke. He at that moment in time he allowed Pack to take pinfall, so I felt quite grateful for when he managed to win. <laughs> Steph, you don't watch Dragon Gate. Have you watched it before? Have you ever tried to dip in and out? I have never dipped in Dragon Gate. I feel now like I will though. <laughs> it said that well, you're on Spotlight on Monday. So yeah, I just announced that uh, that spoiler. So I can get show to watch. I'll 100 watch it. I mean, like for me, you know. There's, there's so much wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Um, there's so much to watch that, yeah. But Dragon Gate, um, it does sound like a investment uh, level, you know, that I've, I've given to New Japan, I've given to AW, and I'll see how much of my mind I have left to handle yeah. <laughs> Dragon Gate. There comes a point where you can't watch, you can't watch enough of it. I many times I'm, I'll happily be a canary in a coal mine watching rubbish, but then even I am going AAA again. Really, <laughs> it's it's so funny. I've spent this whole podcast talking about storylines and everything, mm. but really now I'm like, if someone tells me oh, you need to watch this match, it's four and a half. I'm like, Grant, I'll fire it up. Let me fire up that old Japan. Let me fire up this <laughs> Japan. Grand. You know, it is so funny. Like, that's just how different things are for different companies. Like, I'd, very rarely I'd sit down and watch a whole Noah show. But if you tell mm. me that, you know, I don't know, trying to think of someone like Nakajima's after putting in an absolute banger, I'm going to go watch it. <laughs> you know, it's very weird. I, I find that there's so much that you're trying to kind of dip in and out. And I don't know how many of you do that. Any of you watch any old Japan? I mean, not sort of the, the classics like you're told that you should do. Um, but it's, it's, I kind of often wonder at the same time what is all Japan it seems to be mainly aimed towards a very male audience. And it, it, like, I think that's almost like the direction and it goes in and it's trying to be something very different, which we mentioned all of these promotions. They all have their little niches, don't they? Um, one last question before we finish up. It's a really, really quick question. Tokyo Dome's happening. Fingers crossed there's some sort of vaccine. Um, by the end of the year, please, God, let there be a vaccine. Um, what is your Tokyo Dome main event? Uh, I'll start off with you, Lissom. No pressure. Uh, um, Naito Hiromu. Ooh. That would be it. Oh. I mean, I. Uh, that's the dream one that you would like. We we did not get it because mm. of the pandemic, and I just mm. you want to see it like at the top because it's important to me. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Steph. Um, 
honestly, like, same answer. Um, I'm just waiting for Hiromu to be the, like, top guy, basically. So, uh, Hiromu Naito, like, I, you know, originally thought Hiromu would win the cup to get the Naito match because we didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I feel just because he had the match with Evil, I feel like there's actually more chance that he can break away into, like, proper heavyweight main event, like, division. So it might be too soon, but I would love it to be Hulamu Nigel. Okay, we have two for that. (laughs) Somehow I feel Ghetto's ready to crush those dreams. What about you, Sarah? (laughs) Are you the same? Are you going to be the contrarian of the group? So are we doing two nights or one night again? (laughs) Oh, there we go. Um... It might be three nights, because they'll look to get in only a third at a time, possibly. <laughs> you know, it's very funny. When I went to um, the Super J Cup, when Rocky Romero's on the card, he let us in that it was going to be two nights at the Dome. And I don't know if Rocky lied to me, or if it's um, just not going to happen because of the pandemic. Might never find out. But that's what he said. Um, okay. So, but if we have to go for one night, I'm going to go three for three at Hiromu Naito. And I think it's because I think all of this has proven that Hiromu transcends divisions. He is, I think he is the biggest star that they have. I think he's, to be honest, I think he is bigger than Naito now. And Naito was the guy for the fans for so long. Even if New Japan didn't put him there, the fans put him there. And I think they're they're doing the same with Hiromu. And I think everyone's just bought into his story. And I think that's that's the moment. And... Like, I can just imagine the roar of the Tokyo Dome crowd if he won that match and just how that moment would just be a perfect moment for everyone. Even Naito losing, he's had his Dome moment now yeah. that he's wanted for so long. And I think he'd be more than happy that Hiromu, his, his you know, is one of his favorites, you know, his probably, it's like his little brother also getting his big moment. So I think it would just be perfect. I got I got chills when you said that, like the roar of the Tokyo Dome if Hiromu's win. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking about Hiromu that um I think especially like I've noticed recently, it's almost like there's like a, a pureness and joy to to him that when stuff is really bad, he's like the person that you can have that like faith in and, and trust in that can like make you smile like no matter what and I think that if they like put the rocket to Hiromu in New Japan I think he could even transcend out of out of side of New Japan like if other people that are not into Japanese wrestling give him a chance and kind of got to know him a bit like he's he's the guy like he, he's the guy like I mean, I watch his YouTube videos. Like, I can't understand Japanese. Like, you know, I watched a whole video about him getting his hair dyed when the hairdressers reopened. And I, I, I just watched it with just, like, utter joy of watching this, like, lovely, happy man finally get his hair dyed put back in and not knowing, like, a word that he said. And, like, just how he just, he just, has the ability to like fill your heart with such joy that I think it's something that a lot of us really need. And he's oh, the guy. Gosh, we need it. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, thank you all so much. It's 
been an absolute delight having you all on on what is a remarkably sticky Friday night here. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you all so much. Listen, where can the good listeners find you? Uh, just on Twitter, I think, uh, at Lison Ma, M-A, uh, M-A. Sorry, I went French on that one. Uh, so it's L-I-S-O-N-M-A on Twitter. Fantastic. Thank you. Sarah, Thank you. where can we find you? Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Sarah Flan, also at the two Sarahs. Um, we still do have a podcast. You might not have recorded in a while, but it's still there. So if people want to so. go back and listen to some really cold takes and hopefully we can get together soon. And Socially distance me, in the 4L garden? Yeah, I think so. I think so. They live close enough to me. It's fine. Awful. Just have to find something to talk about. <laughs> some wrestling, good wrestling to talk about. I think that's the problem right now. Um, and then if you don't mind a third plug, you can also listen to uh, Journey Through Gorilla Island um, yes. with me and, and three other people who you, people probably know, Barry, Zig and Emma. Um, we have great fun. And that's also on hiatus due to pandemic related reasons, but we no doubt we'll be back soon. I look forward to that. They're very, very fun. I love that and Days of Thunder. I find myself as two retro shows. I'm just working, working my way through. And Steph, last but by no means least, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Stephanie M. Chase, uh, on YouTube, forward slash Stephanie Chase Wrestling, or just search Stephanie Chase. I'm the one that does wrestling, not the violinist. <laughs> Are you not? There's a violinist called Stephanie Chase that really annoys me. But yeah, I'm the one that does all the wrestling stuff. And I just want to say thank you, JP, for putting together like such a great, lovely panel to talk about the wonderful topic of New Japan. Oh, thank you. Absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed it. And um, we will be hearing you again on Monday on Spotlight. Um, mm-hmm. You'll be hearing me on that. That's where... Uh, that's the end of this one. You can find me on Twitter at JPGP. And I'll speak to you all on Monday. Bye. Bye. Thank you.